Welcome to the Sum of It All Teaching Math to Multilingual Students podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague, Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're exploring the book, Teaching Math to Multilingual Students, Positioning English Learners for Success by Catherine B. Chaval, Aaron Smith, Lina Trigos Carillo, and Rachel J. Pinal. Transcripts to our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. This week, we're gonna chat about chapter five, engaging multilingual learners in culturally relevant tasks. And this is something Mark and I have had lots of time to talk about off the air over the last few years. So I am particularly excited to chat about this chapter with you today. Well, Audrey, the feeling is mutual. Uh, after reading this chapter, I, I just couldn't wait till we got to this day where we could talk about it. Um, so here we are. Here we are. And right. And early in the chapter, the authors mentioned how we often come across curricular contexts that are unfamiliar to students and even ourselves. I yes. just thought it was lovely how they put it, and even ourselves. So of course I have a story about that. Um, I remember so many poor contexts I subjected my poor students mm. to. Um, uh, th there was one that comes to mind in particular, and it was from a fifth grade textbook. Um, and the context I'll never forget was multiplication of decimals. And it was a problem involving an amoeba. And uh, an yes, amoeba. an amoeba. <laughs> and so here, here's a sad situation here. So we get to that problem and being the teacher that I am like, okay, I need to make sure that I give the kids some entry into this exploration of this problem. So here I am trying to explain something about an amoeba. So Audrey, I think the, the way I'll finish the story is, I think my students left with a poor explanation about an amoeba that probably a middle school science teacher was somewhere saying, who gave you that idea? <laughs> so that was not good. And I'm not sure they really grasped uh, contextually multiplying decimals certainly not in that context so um, uh, a lot of bad warm-up bands in my life with uh, story context <laughs> yeah for sure you know I'm glad you brought that one up and shared it with our listeners um, I'm not going to even attempt to share some of the shenanigans that were the contextual problems in the high school math textbooks that I used <laughs> your fifth grade example does not have a corner on the market I'm telling you these problems are context gone poorly, poorly wrong. Um, and so it's super interesting to think about, about what culturally relevant tasks could be, right? Right. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, I, it made me start thinking about Audrey, like why was I continuing to use these mm. awful contexts? And I think for a long time as a teacher, I, I thought I needed to subject my students to terrible textbook problems because I had these like mistaken notions, like I need them to be ready for the standardized test where they're going to see more awful problems, uh, or they need to be ready for the next grade level mm. in middle school, where they're going to see more awful problems. And I need to give them lots of strategies to deal with awful problems. And over time, I've come to realize that what, like, what is the real purpose here? And the real purpose is for the story context, for them to be a vehicle of learning the mathematics. Uh, so I, 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 I just think it's interesting to think about that. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction. And so when does the context get in the way of that, right? And you know, the authors provide us a story problem to kick off the chapter that later gets referred to as the cricket problem. And right. I'm just gonna admit, I didn't know it was cricket in the problem they were talking about, the game of cricket. 
until they started having us read about cricket. Like that's right. how like context driven like this problem is. And you know what's crazy, Mark? I've actually seen cricket played. I'm probably oh. one of the few Southern Californian Americans wow. who's like seen a game of cricket, right? Okay. And I still read the problem <laughs> and had no idea they were talking about cricket or um, any ability to access like what to do with the numbers that they described. Um, and they then went on to say, well, like, well, let's help you access the context. Right. And they gave us more than a whole page of text from Wikipedia about how cricket is scored. Okay. <laughs> now, folks, if you're listening in and you have not read this example, I'm probably going to ruin it for you right now. So feel free to like skip ahead 15 seconds or pause until you have a chance to read it. Um, I'm just going to tell you, like, I could not read the entire page of text. Like I got into it. I started realizing I was skimming it. I started realizing I was jumping big portions of it. Like <laughs> my brain hurt. And eventually I literally turned the page to see if it's going to keep going. Like I got to the exasperation point of like, is right. there more or can I just skip ahead? It was that awful for my head. Yeah. Well what a beautiful thing for the authors to put us through, really. I mean, for sure. to, to make their point, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I will just say the cricket context was awesomely confusing. <laughs> and I say awesomely <laughs> confusing because the authors really made their point with me. Um, I was like, what the heck are these people talking about? Like, yeah. that was just after reading the story problem. And then like you, like when I got into the Wikipedia reference, it was even worse. Um, and here's the sad situation, right? What a great replay of what we do for kids thinking it will get better. Um, like I could picture this in, in a classroom. Maybe it's not cricket, but something else. But like, hey, you don't know about cricket. So I know what I will do. I will give you some background information to read about cricket and you'll be all set. Well, as you so well put, uh, Audrey, like it was not the avenue to success, right? No, no, not only, not only did it turn me off from wanting to learn about cricket. Like I'm no longer interested in the context at all. I still have no access to whatever the mathematical question is. Like I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with the numbers. I can't make sense of it. And so the authors share with us these three wonderful focus questions about how do we get better about providing these culturally relevant tasks? How do we get better about thinking about the context? And here are the questions. I, I think they're fascinating. The first one is when does context interfere with students' mathematical learning? When does that happen? The second one was, how much instructional time do I invest in building the meaning for this context? And I'm telling you, the number of sentences on that page, like that was a lot of time spent trying to make sense right. of cricket, and I'm not sure it did any good. Yeah. And then the third one was, how should I select context to use with my students? Yeah, Audrey, I agree with you. These are great questions. I, I, I just think these three questions should be at the center of, of math instruction in general. I could see them being used in math methods classes, in professional learning, just really, really great way to center what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, I, I wish I had these questions back when I was giving those other story contests mm. to break me out of that cycle. Um, you know, our goal is proficient math students. Our, our context, like I said a few minutes ago, should be the vehicle for our students to learn mathematics. And, it just seems like if we are switching out contexts without sacrificing the rigor of the mathematics, that can make a lot of sense for us. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. So 
So one of the ways that context interferes with mathematical learning for our students is just even accessing the context, which is um, essentially what happened for me in the cricket problem. And, you know, the authors write, the context may be more reflective of the curriculum writer's interests or experiences than your students' prior knowledge, experiences, and interests. And I think that's a great like place for us to pause and reflect, right? So like, and I'm not saying that our authors find cricket to be the best game ever, but maybe, or maybe they're, you know, if you think about it in the context of whatever problems you give in your class, mm -hmm. like there are times when we offer up something because it is so familiar to us and that we've, we're like, of course, it's easy to understand this context. This is my world that I live in every day. This makes complete sense to me, not considering whether or not it's the context our students live in and understand. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Audrey. I, I think it's really interesting to pause for a second here and think about really our general behavior as educators when we really get excited about something that's sort of our quote unquote favorite thing. I think about as a former elementary teacher, favorite books that you might want to engage in with your class, uh, or even favorite problems that you want to bring in. And I, I just wonder if that part of this is that we get so excited, right? As we're bringing in students, this is one of my favorite books that I want us to read, or this is, this is such a great story problem, I can't wait to engage you in. And I wonder if sometimes when we say to ourselves, Oh, my kids really love that. I, I wonder if part of what we're feeding off of is the fact that our kids are watching us get so excited about something that we're offering them that that we misread their willingness to humor our excitement mm -hmm. with authentic engagement. I mean, you know, it, it, just because they smile and, and nod their head and look at us like, um, teacher, I'm so glad that you're having such a good time up there. I'm not sure that's the same as something being culturally responsive and something where I can bring my um, my brilliance into the classroom because you've activated it. Wow, Mark, that's a really great point. You know, I'm thinking about that with middle school and high school students who are probably less likely in the event that I'm super excited about something <laughs> to then smile and be excited about it. Um, I've definitely had them blow me off in several ways, you know, about like, oh, miss, like, this is ridiculous. Like, Good we do point. not care about it. Um, but I do appreciate like, that acknowledgement that, you know, how, how are we gauging students true excitement and mm -hmm. um, appreciation for the context? Like, what does that look and sound like? Right. Um, and is it just that they did the problem? And you're like, it went great, because every kid did the problem? Or does it feel like it's additive or authentically help them become individuals who see math in their world? Right, which is I think where we're really aiming at like this this going. So like the authors point out like it's super important to think about it in the context of our students. Like you're just talking about like what's their world, not our as the teacher's world. But they also say you can still be strategic about selecting contexts that expand their understanding of the world. So not everything has to be exactly the students' little, you know, mile, you know, however many miles of radius that they live in, but it can be beyond that, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I, the authors really made me just grapple with the fact, like, I wonder what the mix should be. I wonder what mm -hmm. the mix be between familiar context and unfamiliar context could, should be. Um, because certainly in the cricket example, when you think about how your interests or lack thereof in cricket affected how willing you were to engage and learn more about the mathematics problem, you said it pretty, pretty nicely earlier that the way that it was done 
uh, in the way to give us the reaction wasn't the way we want them to learn about cricket uh, in, that, in that sense. So it, it is interesting to think about what should be the balance with familiar and unfamiliar. And it makes me think of the old examples sort of like that I think we tended to gravitate toward in elementary school was like, well, I'm gonna choose contexts like video games and mm. pizza and all these sort of like stereotypical, um, you know, this is, this is this age and this is your interest. And so um, I'm really excited about exploring beyond sort of those, you know, really pretty, basic, if you will, kind of connections that we think are kind of universal, but actually they, they may not be. Um, and thinking about more of those rich cultural connections, right? Yeah, so that brings me to a really interesting kind of like reflection point with a story. So I had this lesson when you're thinking about like what contexts can be successful in that. Like, I think, I think that seems really complex, like trying to pick mm -hmm. the right thing, right? If I can't right. just generally use pizza and video games and cartoon <laughs> characters, like now what, right? right. Um, so like what I was teaching, I had an example for ratios and proportions mm. that I loved and hear my language already that I loved, right? Um, right. And I am not a huge basketball fan. I'm nowhere near your basketball fandom, um, but ah. I knew enough to know that Michael Jordan was big and big news, right? So yep. I took his autobiography and he had in his autobiography, like um, his handprint was in there. And I Xeroxed the copy, I think it's actually a Duplo machine. And I had that copy of his <laughs> hand because I was always frustrated oh, right. every time I tried to play basketball on how I can't palm a ball. My hands oh. are too small. Oh. And I would watch these basketball players have the ball in their hand and do these amazing dunks and amazing right. things. And not only can I not jump, I'm going back to square one. Like I can't even hold the ball in one hand. Um, and so I asked my students, what size basketball would I need in order to palm the ball? And then I asked them, what size basketball do you need to palm a ball? So we like had this context. It worked great for years, Mark. Like oh. when you talk about lessons that like worked, like there was enough there about a personal story and a personal uh, connection and mm -hmm. they got to make the basketball their own hand, clean, yeah, their yeah. own hand, all that yeah, stuff. Right. Yeah. It worked for all. I would like to say all my learners there. I probably, that's probably too gross of an exaggeration, right, but many, right. many, many of my learners. And it was one of those things where I'd bring it out, out of the file cabinet. I knew it was a good lesson. And I got one year, 10 years in the road and I pulled this out and someone goes, who's Michael Jordan. <laughs> Can we do Kobe Bryant? And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, my wonderful, relevant right. task is no longer relevant, right? Like I've just expired on the cool video game or I've just expired on the, the cartoon character that these kids watch. Mm. I've like, it's expired and that's right. what it will do. And so it really makes me think about like, what are the contexts that don't expire, I guess? Uh, yeah. Wow. That's, that's such a great story, Audrey. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's, I love that question. Uh, what a what a great hashtag! What are, what are the what are the contexts that don't expire? I I, I love that. Um, well, my connection with contexts that were ahead in my classroom is 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 not as interesting of a story, but I will have to say um, it was still very powerful. And I just want to give a shout out to Linda Levi and Susan Empson's a text, which is called "Extending Children's Mathematics." Um, listeners, if you're not aware of that resource, it's really just just really filled with great contextual problems around operations with fractions and decimals. And in particular, they have just a wonderful set of rich equal sharing problems that really extend up into upper elementary and even early middle school. And the problems, the reason I like them then, and I still think that they're applicable now, 
is it, it, it hit the sweet spot of what the authors are talking about of maintaining the rigor of the mathematics while providing access to the context. The contexts were relatively simple in the, in, the, in the point of access, but boy, the mathematics was really complex. And I, I just love the fact that I could get all of my learners into a context so, so quickly that they were doing pretty complex mathematics. So um, those problems were uh, really uh, helpful for that. Yeah, and it sounds like they don't maybe don't expire, like the idea of equal sharing mm -hmm. and right. how we can do that in some more simplistic con context may not expire, right? That's something that sure. is more of a lived experience that all of us engage in. Right. Super interesting. Well, the authors make a point to alleviate our searching endlessly for something is that there is not one curriculum that is mm -hmm. relevant to all students. So we can stop trying, like, don't go out and try to buy something. Like, it's not going to work for every kid. Like, it's just not. Um, and instead, they talk about that the goal is to amplify the curriculum, not just trying to simplify it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you brought up that point, Audrey. I, I really think it's one of the most important points of the entire chapter. Um, because I mean, we want all of our students, especially our multilingual students, to be making meaning in story context and not be just taught to use some sort of ineffective keyword strategy in isolation to signal an operation. And in the strategies section, the authors provide really wonderful ideas of how to support multilingual students to make meaning of the story context so that they can have access to the mathematics, so that they can actually participate in the meaning making because the context is no longer a barrier, but they still get access to the rigor of the mathematics because it's not about just plucking words out of the story problem. It's about really making meaning. Yeah, that's a really good point. So the, the chapter moves into several vignettes um, and that are just fantastic to read about. Um, I'll try to give a quick overview, but they're worth your time to read them and think about them and, and contemplate what is the magic that's happening there in those, in those lines. Um, like for instance, they video a person, one of the authors going into a very familiar store and picking up some items um, that the children are aware of. And then the teacher has some items there in hand, right? They either match those or look a little different, but that students have some familiarity with um, and thinking about that. There's some others where they share a video of a factory with crayons and moving it along and then ask some questions. What did you think, um, what did you think about these, these, this use of like video and the filming um, in these vignettes? Well, Audrey, in that first example with the, one of the, uh, teachers going into a store and filming that um, as they were and saving that for the students to almost mimic like they're going into the store. Um, I just thought that was so cool. Um, it reminded me a little bit of the 5E model that's used a lot in science with that first E of engaging, um, or even the three act task videos that are used that mm. first act. But, but the thing, this was still different than those. I mean, there was just something very unique about um, how that launch into the lesson immerses them into a context which is so different than just reading about it. So I, I just thought it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So it took that problem that might have otherwise in the textbook or on a worksheet read, you go to the store and you pick up a ball and a doll and a, right? And all of a right. sudden it is so tangible that mm -hmm. all the access is available for our students. So I think the use of that neighborhood store like that seems like a really a bright spot so when you think about things that are really working well in this context and and have 
allowed access to the context for our learners and not change the level of the math demand or what, making sense of the man or diminish that in any way, like that seems like something we wanna look at and consider um, for how we might then take that into our own settings and try that on for size. Yeah, there, there's one other move in that vignette, Audrey, I wanna just quickly highlight is that at the end of the vignette, the teacher, you know, the students get to pick which items that they want to, um, you know, purchase, or I can't remember what it is, buy or purchase or something like, and, and they chose them, but then the teacher said, I want you to make price tags for them. And I want you to write um, the, the prices any way that makes sense to you. And I just thought that was really nice because such a way for the teacher to collect formative data around like where the students were with their understanding of recording uh, their, their prices and, and using decimals and so forth and so on. I, I just thought that was a really nice move near the end of that vignette. Oh, for sure. I think there was even a line where the, where the teacher says, I'm not going to show you because I want to see what you come up with, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Understanding that the desire for students is still to mimic maybe and be like, I'll do whatever right. you want, teacher. And yeah, they're being right, like, right. I want to see what you come up with, right? So for kudos sure. to that bright spot move as something that I definitely want to think about. You know, I was also thinking though, in the context of what we're sharing is like, our goal is still to help students uh, in a way, mathematize their world. Um, to right. take a phrase from our our, our season um, our season six is thinking about like when they walk out and they see their world. We want them to be asking themselves those mathematical questions and and using their math to make sense of what's happening. And so, to that end, I wonder like what would happen if instead of the teacher taking that video in the store, if they had asked students to capture a twenty second video of their afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then mm. pulled those to then think about what math they could see in them or how we might use that to kind of still leverage the math learning that wants to have happen. Um, I think it might connect to mm. curiosity, which we've talked about. Um, it would connect to students' lives and it might even help them see themselves as um, fully engaged in the mathematics and the mathematical world because it, it's their video, right? It's what they saw as they were walking home or it was what they saw um, around their neighborhood or things like that. Wow, Audrey, that's that's a really cool extension. I I really love that for all the reasons that you said. Uh, and one thing I'm thinking of as you were talking is like, then the questions that I'm asking, the things that I'm wondering about those contexts, those things can be completely uh, they're they're leveled based on what I'm where I am at in my mathematics learning as well. I mean, the things that I'm noticing and wondering those can those can be the things that i can pursue that are that will align with where i'm at and i just i like that nice well, i appreciate that like you can do that so we can get super immersed in kids worlds and like the author said though we can also expand their worlds and so mm. if you haven't read the crayon example i think that's another space where like you can bring the world uh, that's beyond their fingertips that's beyond what right. they might see or experience right. at the age they're at or where they live you can still do that in their case through video. I'm sure there's other ways and bring it into a shared experience so that students can still interact with that um, in a way that also expands their context. So I appreciate that there's kind of two sides to that work. Yeah, Audrey, and I think uh, I think we, along with our listeners, need to keep grappling with what sort of what's the sweet spot of, of having both those experiences happen in our classrooms. But in the end, the real key is to make sure that our kids are making meaning of mathematics. And there's a great quote right at the end on page 68, Audrey, I'm just gonna read it to finish this off for this episode. And it goes like this. 
using culturally relevant contexts in mathematics teaching not only provides rich resources to build mathematics and language, but it also positions students out of school experiences as resources for learning rather than deficits to overcome. Mm. And I mm. just, we want our students and their experiences to be resources for learning rather than deficits to overcome. And I can't think of a better way to end the episode. I love it. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. In our next episode, we will chat about chapter six, reach multilingual learners with visuals and gestures. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your perspective about our discussion of chapter four. Chapter five, actually. <laughs> join, join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag SumMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes learning from bright spots. Mm -hmm.